It's Thursday, November 2nd. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill, joining me in studio today from Rule Breakers and Supernova, Aaron Bush, back in the house. Good to see you. Thanks for having me. This is one of those days where we could go an hour if we needed to with companies like Alibaba and AutoNation and Wayfair and Shake Shack, uh, among others, reporting. And we're not actually going to talk about any of those. So I'm sorry if I just got anyone's hopes up. We are, however, going to talk about Tesla's latest quarter and Blue Apron's latest quarter. We got to start, though, with Facebook. And I know Apple reports after the market closes today, but I feel like with all the Russia stuff that's been going on, this was. The report that was going to be the most closely watched: uh, 10.3 billion dollars in revenue in Facebook's third quarter. That is an increase of 47 percent year over year. Their profits were higher than expected, and yet it's almost as though none of that matters because of what the CEO had to say. Yeah, I mean, I think if we are just to look at the results alone, it's incredible. I mean. Revenue up about 50%, earnings up 77%. They have over 2 billion people using their platform monthly. That's insane. Um, and I mean, to make that even seem more incredible, they're, they're now churning out 50% operating margins. So every dollar that they take in, they keep 50 cents or so, maybe closer to 40 cents like in cash flow. But that's still insane because they can do so much with that. Um, what, what's interesting, though, is if you look you know, compared to last year, what what is driving that is a bit different. So, uh, a year ago and past, um, almost all of the growth came from an, an increase in ad impressions, um, and to a far less degree, ad prices. They were kept pretty low. But now we see a 10% increase in ad impressions and a 35% increase in ad prices. So the formula that's going into driving this business has completely changed, um, for better or worse. But yeah. The stock is down, even with these incredible results, and I think that that goes to a few things. Um, generally, all heightened investments. So heightened investments um, and just the normal upcoming technology, VR, artificial intelligence, things that they've been talking about for a long time. Um, they're going to be investing more heavily into video, which is sort of a change of strategy in the sense that. Part of why Facebook has 50% operating margins is because it doesn't pay for anything, right? Like they it's, just kind of put a platform up there. The people it's not, come. It's not Netflix. No, the the people come. The people put up their own content, and it just magically works. And they're sort of the gatekeeper, the middleman that just rakes it in when it when it all flows well. Um, and so they're going to start paying for video content for the first time. Um, we're not. Really sure, I would say, like how big of a deal it's going to be when you make so much when you when you make so much billions in in net income and cash flow, you can't afford to do tests like that without it really making much of a dent. Um, but yeah, ultimately, and Zuckerberg started with this on the call. They're going to be investing more heavily in security, and this means keeping the bad actors out to really just make governments happy. This. This is something that was spoken to shareholders on the earnings call, but really, I think it was more spoken to the government officials who are listening in. Um, so they will be increasing their investment in security, um, which which means uh, putting in safeguards for advertising um, with the big uh, kind of. 
PR mess that's been going on with with Russia and even North Korea and others buying ads through through shell corporations on on Facebook that that really has put Facebook in a pretty tough spot. And I think a lot of governments, including the U.S. government, are becoming increasingly fearful of Facebook's power. And so they're going to be doing everything they can to to stop governments from worrying on the advertisement side, but even organically too. Well, and of course, the a lot of this has to do with the presidential election in 2016. But this is this is a much bigger issue for Facebook, and as you said, you know the concerns of various governments because this is a massive platform with two billion people every month who are using it, and it is susceptible to abuse. And so the fact that it is susceptible to abuse. I think the concern is justified, but the fact that Zuckerberg came out and said, we're investing, and this is a direct quote, we are investing so much in security that it will impact our profitability. That really shouldn't surprise anyone who has paid attention to Zuckerberg. No, not at all. And Facebook isn't a tough spot, and it sort of is a catch twenty two in some way. It's and everyone. by the way, when your profit margin, when you're a company that big and your profit margins are fifty percent, yeah, when you have those kind of margins, you, you can make them a little thinner. If sure. It, if it means hiring human beings to monitor your ad content. And I wouldn't be surprised too, even if they do raise costs here, they still could have higher margins a year from now. For all we know, like <laughs> they're they're still increasing their margins like pretty significantly right now. So there's no reason why that can't continue even if they raise expenses in other ways. So so yeah, I think he's saying that making a big deal out about that. I don't know how huge of a deal it really is, but I mean just the narrative alone does put Facebook in a tough spot. It's one of those narratives that is only going to become more annoying, in my opinion. <laughs> and I do think the narrative is justified. It should be talked about. But for shareholders who really just want to focus on the business, this is just going to be a constant distraction from here on to, I don't even know, maybe forever, as long as Facebook remains relevant, you know? Although, although I mean, to the point that you just made, and I think it's it's uh, it's an important one because what's getting a lot of attention, and it totally makes sense, is Zuckerberg leading off the call with his comments um, five weeks ago on Motley Fool Money. Uh, our guest was David Kirkpatrick, who who wrote the New York Times bestseller, The Facebook Effect, and one of the things we talked about was what guides Zuckerberg, what is his north star, and he was very quick to say his north star doesn't have anything to do with profits. It really like it's worked out really well for people looking for profits, but that's not what guides this this person. And so, to your point, the idea that they could spend money over the next twelve to eighteen months, hire more people, some investors take their profits and run for the hills because they think, well, their margins are going to go not to zero, but they're going to go a lot lower. But if the end result is Actually, the advertising that is being bought is higher quality, mm-hmm. and they absolutely do have pricing power. Don't let anyone <laughs> think otherwise. Then, yeah, their margins could conceivably go higher. Yeah, it's remarkable, but still, I do think this is a narrative that is just going to keep on going. And I mean, earlier this week, Facebook officials, Google officials, Twitter officials, just a lot of big tech legal um, officials were um, questioned in front of Congress about all this stuff. And they were put into a really difficult position because both sides, both Republicans and Democrats, take issue with something that Facebook is doing. 
everyone wants Facebook to be a neutral platform, but at the same time remove the bad actors. And in some ways, like that doesn't completely sync together because that removing the bad actors gives Facebook a lot of power in a way that it it allows Facebook to be the one that censures um, the the site. And the fact that it can create rules in some ways doesn't make it a neutral platform. Um, and so it'll just give something politicians. Uh, to chew on for a really long time. And one more stat, just to go back to the balance sheet. Mobile ad revenue, which when they went public in 2012, did not exist. They were making no money off of mobile ads. It's now 88%. Yeah, that's just a given. And and kind of, I mean, we've been focusing on on this narrative. They're making more money. Uh, they're investing heavily. This political stuff is going on. But at the same time, they still are testing other things. Their workplace app, um, which I don't know how big of a deal that's going to do over time, but they won over Walmart as a customer recently, which is the largest employer in the U.S. So that's actually a pretty huge deal. And software is high margin, so if they can figure out how to monetize that. That's just going to add on. No matter what the core of Facebook does, it's going to add on. They're testing business relationships within WhatsApp, which is a first step into becoming something more like WeChat, um, in the sense that it allows new ways to monetize beyond advertising, more transaction-based. Um, and so, if they can figure that out, I mean, WhatsApp is a huge platform. If they can figure out there, maybe they can roll it into other places too. So the story is still far from over, despite these uh, narratives that are taking the spotlight. Let's move on to Tesla's third quarter. They lost more money than expected, and maybe not a shock. I really hope this wasn't a shock to anyone who's been watching Tesla <laughs> over the last couple of years. More delays for the Model Three. What? Yes, I know. It's it's almost hard to believe, except it's completely easy to believe. Stock down about 7%. This, this is a stock that still had a good year. Even with the drop today, it's up about 40% year-to-date. What stood out to you in this quarter and these results? Because I think we may be at the point, and we've been at this point before, but uh, I, we this may, in fact, be the point where the the bloom is off the rose a little bit with Tesla. Maybe just a little, but what do you think? Yeah, I do think something seemed a little bit off. This is one of those companies where there just is a lot going on that sometimes it's difficult to connect all the dots to know like okay, they're losing a ton of money over a billion dollars this quarter. Like why like why exactly is that happening? Like what's going on with margins and so forth? But I mean, I mean Really, and as it should be, the the story that kind of won the headline here is the production delays. There are some bottlenecks in a couple of zones of the production line, and I mean it. It kind of makes sense if there are maybe ten thousand parts to make a car. Even if one of those parts or two of those parts is having issues, the entire process slows down. And I know the team is working really fast and aggressive to fix that, um, and it will be fixed. Um, but I don't know if that completely covers the reason why Tesla is burning over a billion dollars in cash this quarter. And so, I think that is something to pay attention to. Um, so, I mean, really overall, I do think that the market knocking down Tesla's share price today is completely justified. Um, but, but that being said, I do think it is important uh, to not miss the forest for the trees, in the sense that Tesla's quarters are important to get a sense of what the future will be like. But I mean, a year from now, two years from now, the quarters are going to be so completely different than what they are now. I think it's too easy to get caught up in the quarters numbers of today. So, um, I mean, 
I, I think Tesla is now forecasting that it will hit 5,000 Model 3 weekly production, that weekly production rate, by the first quarter of 2018. And it's going to ramp up to 10,000 after that. And once it hits that point, like the financials will just be completely different. So I don't think getting caught up in today's cash flows and today's margins is probably the smartest thing to do. But I mean, Tesla has so many other things going on for it too. I mean, they're building new gigafactories, they're building new stores, new um, charging stations, they're accelerating their autonomous um, driving capabilities, which costs a lot of money. They're growing their energy unit. Um, selling more power packs, selling big infrastructural projects to to places like South Africa, and so things like that. I think it really highlights what Tesla's long-term strategy is, and I think this is really important, really key for investors to understand, is that Elon Musk and Tesla, they're masters of reflexivity, in the sense that they're so good at creating hype about like the next big thing that they should tackle, and they're good at raising money for that. But a lot of that money actually goes to paying down the cost of what they're working on in the present. And so it's important for them to keep on coming out with these new big plans. And so far, they've done that. And if anyone can do it, it would be them. But that does pose a risk. When you have high debt and you have high cash burn, everything has to, to go right up to a point. Delays are okay to some degree because what still matters is what the end result is going to be. But if there are larger snags, then then in some ways it could be a house of cards. I'm not saying that's what it is, but there is a lot of risk there. So, the most fun story I've seen about Tesla recently was a market watch story about the secondary market for Model 3s. So, if you want a Model 3, you got to plunk down $1,000 to reserve your Model 3. And uh, our our friend and colleague Ron Gross is one of those people who uh, who put down some money for a Model Three, and uh, not surprisingly got a a notice saying, "Oh, by the way, yours is being delayed." And and not that they're picking on Ron, but they, again, they're dealing with delays. And so MarketWatch had this story a couple of weeks ago about this secondary market popping up, where people who have spent a thousand dollars for a reservation for a Model Three. Are sick of waiting for it, and so they are offering to sell to anyone on Craigslist. Hey, you can move. Essentially, you can move up in line. Mm-hmm. You can take my spot. It's going to cost you more than a thousand dollars, and some people are doing that. They're paying two thousand, three thousand dollars just to move up. But it's it's really interesting to see where this is going because, as you said, at some point, just as at some point, banks are going to say to Tesla, "You know what? We're not going to loan you this money, or we're going to loan you this money, but the terms aren't going to be nearly what you hope they're going to be." Mm-hmm. I think we're going to the, the the risk of delays also comes on the consumer side, where people just say, "You know what? It really would be great to have a Model Three. I don't want to wait six months, twelve months, even longer." To get one of these things, I'll just buy. You know, I'll get something else in the meantime, and maybe in 2020, when you people have your production woes figured out, maybe then I'll buy one. Yeah, and I think that that makes sense. I also think just the fact that there are people willing to pay up to move ahead in line does show the power of the Tesla brand. Yes, and I think just based on what we're seeing and what they talked about in the earnings report, I'm I'm not too worried about people not, you know, joining the line and. I mean, maybe it will be more back-ended just as the production comes back up to speed, but I don't, I don't think that's much of an issue at all. And if anything, 
Um, I think it'll be really interesting to see how really just the explosion of new cars coming out of Tesla is going to alter the the gross margins of the business and see if that changes the cash flow at all. It could if if they still are having issues and need to continue raising billions in capital over and over again, I think that might be telling more in a negative way. But if somehow they can figure out how to turn that explosion of growth and the number of vehicles they're selling into something that does improve the finances of the company, I think that actually would be a pretty bullish sign. It's just really confusing. There are so many moving pieces, it's hard to like say, this is going to happen. But I wouldn't bet against them. No, this is uh, for for everything about Elon Musk and for everyone who who looks at him and says this guy, I'm not sure about this. He really does seem to be raising, as you said, raising money on one hand just so he can pay down debt over here. In a million years, I would never short this stock. No, absolutely not. Here's here's a stock that I'm sure at least some people are shorting, and that's Blue Apron. And I, let me preface this by saying I don't hate Blue Apron. I think, given some of the comments I've made about Blue Apron, there are people who who would be forgiven for thinking that. But Blue Apron's third quarter, they lost more money than was expected. Um, there, there was one thing that I saw that I was I thought maybe this is a silver lining, and it was that revenue per customer is moving up. Now, I guess the counterbalance to that is they don't have as many customers as they used to. <laughs> yeah. So I mean. Personally, I just think the situation is really bad. The customer count is down 6% year-over-year. Revenue was barely up. I think it was up about 3%. Um, and the, the losses for the company were, were pretty high. And I don't, To me, it doesn't seem like any of that is going to change anytime soon. Um, <laughs> so, in my opinion, I think Blue Apron is, in a sense, a perfect case study of just a really bad business, from, from the sense that, at the end of the day, you can't outrun the quality of your economic Growth engine and Blue Apron's business is like their growth engine is just fundamentally not very good. So on the customer acquisition side, they have to pay a a pretty hefty amount in marketing just to get people into the door. And this is one of the things that they have lowered their marketing costs, sort of in in reaction to, to just the negative financials that they're seeing. But in some ways, they don't really have a choice because there are just a lot of other copycats that are out there that are also throwing money. And so it's either well, either we lose share but don't pay as much, which is awful, or we pay up, retain from share, and figure out how to go from there. Um, and so that's just bad. And now the only way that those marketing dollars are worth it is if p- people convert and stay. And it's important for them to stay for a longer time in this business and than other subscription businesses because food is a low margin business overall. It takes more time for a low margin business. Uh, subscription business to overcome the marketing costs and a higher margin one like a software business. And the problem is that people just aren't staying around. Um, customer count is down 6% year over year, like I mentioned. And that's while the company is spending 15 to 20% of its revenue on marketing. The company does not disclose their um, retention rates, which is pretty absurd, in my opinion. Um, but I've seen at By the way, can't we can't we just assume if they're not disclosing their retention rates, it's because they're terrible? Oh, I mean, yeah, they're bad. Because if they were great, they would absolutely promote that. Yeah, so I mean, they are bad, and I've seen um, estimates saying that Blue Apron um, is losing money on seventy percent of their customers, which really just just means that people are leaving before they're able to turn a profit on them. So. Something just clearly is not working. Just at the very fundamentals of like the growth engine of this company, it's not working. And Blue Apron has to revisit 
like every piece of those that unit economic calculator essentially and figure out what to change. It either needs like to figure out how to boost its retention, which might be really hard, or it has to lower the cost um, for the customers it does pull in. Maybe it can, but I mean, if the unit economics do improve, it's probably going the trade-off is probably going to be lower growth. So at the end of the day, they're just in a really bad position. This is a stock that is once again hitting a new low. They went public over the summer, and already the stock is down fifty-seven percent. And based on everything you just said, I'm looking at Blue Apron, wondering if a year from now this is going to be a public company, and. Sometimes when we talk about companies no longer being public in the future, it's usually couched as someone will buy them or they will take themselves private. The way you laid out the unit economics of Blue Apron, I'm wondering if they just go out of business altogether because I'm not entirely sure. And I don't know who is running this company. I don't know if it's a founder leader type of situation and maybe it's someone with deep pockets who does take the company private. But barring that, it doesn't even sound like Blue Apron has the type of marketing list or customer base that would be attractive for someone else to throw some money at them to acquire. Yeah, I think the company has just been in growth mode for so long and it, I mean, the, the growth works when you're able to raise a lot of money and just throw it into marketing, right? But now that the company is public and it's shifting more towards profitability, it totally is having to revisit like everything about what it's doing. And that is really hard. So I, I don't know if I would, it, I mean, it might go private or get bought out in some way. Um, I don't know if it would, just because, first of all, I don't know if anyone would want to buy it. Um, I think there are probably others like them that are going to go public, um, but yeah, who knows? Well, and you just think about the way, you know, Amazon buying Whole Foods, potentially uh, testing this type of thing. What? They don't need. They don't need to buy this. They don't no, need, they need not to buy it. You know, they've got their own, so they can just wait for you know Blue Apron and and everyone else to just go out of business. That would be grim. But I know. Possible. I know. We're ending on, <laughs> on on kind of a down note, so I apologize for that. Aaron Bush, thanks so much for being here. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Chris. Hey, quick thing before we wrap up. You know, we always say on this show how we can't give personal advice, and we can't. But here's the good news: our friends at Motley Fool Wealth Management actually can offer personal advice, and they're accepting new clients starting next week. And if you want more details, just go to personal.fool.com. That's personal.fool.com. We'll put the link in the description of this episode, so you can just go ahead and click it. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Forward. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you on Monday.